Everyone doing well today? I can't hear you. Okay, you're blessed? Okay. If you have your uh, Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 31, I'm sorry, 27 through 32. And also, uh, can you hear me? I don't feel like y'all can hear me. You can? Okay. If you would put your phones on vibrate, that'll be great. Um, if you have smartphones, that'll be great. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you would never enter the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you would never enter the kingdom of heaven. With these words, Jesus is, it chips away at your wall of false righteousness. Brick by brick, stone by stone. You see, we all have built up walls around our life. Walls of false righteousness. And for one purpose, we have built those walls, and that is to hide our own brokenness. The brokenness in our life, the brokenness within our family. We don't want others to see it. So we pretend. We come to church and we can pretend. We can give the fake smile. We can keep up the appearance that everything's good when it's not really good. But make no mistake. Jesus sees clearly. You can fool the pastor. You can't fool Jesus. He sees behind the wall. He sees what we all try to hide from others. And when he sees it, he chips it away. He chips it away in order to present all of us as mutually broken people before the throne of God. Before the throne of God, we are all broken people. Because it's broken people who need a Savior. Because if you're not broken, you don't need to be fixed, right? Jesus brings you face to face with your own brokenness. But do you see it? Do you see it? And if you see it, he wants you to acknowledge it. But he also wants you to bring it to him so you can be healed. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Will you come to him? So this morning, Jesus is going to continue to chip away at your wall. So if you have your Bible, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. And remember, this is God's word, not my word. So get mad with him. Beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right arm hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better than for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Like I said, 
This is God's word, not Alex's. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your truth, we definitely need your spirit to give us understanding. We definitely need him to come and, and, and enlighten our minds so that we can understand your truth. Not just with our heads, but also with our hearts. That he will give us the power to apply your truth to our lives, Father. So, Holy Spirit, we need you to come. The word says you are a helper. The word says that you are a counselor. You, the word says you will lead us into all truth. That you will bring to remembrance everything that Jesus has taught. So, Holy Spirit, be the Holy Spirit. Be that helper for us today. And apply God's word to our hearts. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Look, but don't touch. Are you familiar with such a principle? Look, but don't touch. Do you practice such a principle when it comes to the opposite sex? Do you say, as long as I'm just looking and not touching the person, then I'm okay. I haven't done anything wrong. But is that necessarily true? Here's another, here's another common practice in our culture. Easy divorces. Well, we've just grown apart over the years. So we're just going to call it quits. For the kids are out of the house now. You know, it really was a partnership. So now that they're gone, now we're going to do what we really want to do. No, oh, Pastor, marriage is such hard work. I mean, I'm just tired of it. So we're just going to call it quits. Pastor, we just got irreconcilable differences. So we're just going to call it quits. But what does Jesus say? But what does God's word say when it comes to such worldly principles that we can often live by even within the church? What Jesus is going to show us today is that both of those principles can fall very short of the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment. Keep in the forefront of your mind what Jesus is doing here and his agenda. His agenda is to present all of us as mutually broken people. And he's using God's moral law to do that. His moral law, particularly the Ten Commandments that refer to man's relationship with each other. As we know, the first five commandments deal with our relationship with God, and the last five deal with our relationship with one another. And Jesus is using those last five commandments to show we're broken in our relationships with one another. We all, the sixth commandment says what? Thou should not commit murder. And the seventh commandment says thou should not commit adultery. You see, Jesus now is getting ready to move inside your house. He's getting ready to go inside your house, open up your closet, and it may get a little warm in here today. Just a little bit. You see, the seventh commandment, it, it protects the institution of marriage. That's the purpose of the seventh commandment. And as, as believers, as believers, we believe the Christian definition of marriage is a covenant union, union between one man and one woman before God. That is the Christian definition of marriage. Now, the world has other definitions, but our definition, the one that we believe, is that marriage is between one man and one woman in covenant before God. That's what we believe. And the Lord God instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden with our first parents, Adam and Eve. Genesis 2, 23 and 25 says, This is that last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is the Christian marriage. 
Marriage is a covenant bond with covenant responsibility. The language of the two becoming one flesh, that's intimacy. That's closeness. That's togetherness. Marriage is truly the closest and most intimate of all human relationships. The marriage relationship is the closest and most intimate of all human relationships. Not parent and child, but husband and wife. Parent and child come second to the marriage. But adultery destroys that. It breaks that covenant. Wendy Plump, in her article about adultery, she says, I love this quote, she says, it's very easy to plant a bomb in a peaceful, trusting place. That is what a cheating spouse has done and then detonated it. Very easy to plant a bomb in a peaceful, trusting place. And that is what a cheating spouse has done. Adultery destroys families. It blows up marriages. And in its aftermath, there's a trail of hurt, a trail of pain, a trail of tears, a trail of frustration, a trail of hurt. And so the seventh commandment prohibits adultery. And we all know that. But is that all that is required in the seventh commandment? There is more. And Jesus is going to show us he reveals that, the, that there's something wrong with how this commandment has historically been applied and interpreted and understood. That is why he says in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. And when he, when he you, that little phrase there, you have heard that it was said, Jesus is saying, certain people have said this, but they haven't given you all the truth. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had a problem, is that, for, their, for them, the, the moral law only applied to what they did externally. They, if, as long as I didn't physically do certain things, then I was, I'm good. I have fulfilled the requirements of the law. And so if I haven't externally committed adultery or been caught in adultery, then I'm good. I have fulfilled the seventh commandment. Again, is that fulfillment? Just because you have not committed adultery, have you fulfilled all that is required in the seventh commandment? And if we believe that, then we say yes. We give ourselves a check mark. I'm good. And then you also begin to think you're better than someone else who's been caught in adultery. A co-worker. We all know somebody, a family, co-worker, friend, neighbor who's been caught in adultery. And if you haven't been caught or haven't done that, you think, I'm, I might not be the best spouse, I'm better than that. At least I haven't done that. And so your fidelity becomes your, your, your badge of honor. I'm, I'm a faithful wife. I'm a faithful husband. That becomes your righteousness. And Jesus is going to chip away at that. Most men and women have standards in their relationships. At least I hope they do. We do have standards. You have standards in what you want, what you're looking for in a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Now, some of those standards are unrealistic. You know, you got to look this way, got to have this job, drive this type of car. You know, those are superficial standards. But you do have non-negotiable standards. And for believers, that is, the person has to be a believer. That's a non-negotiable standard. Now, think about this. If you have standards in your relationships, how much more God? Now, we are created in his image, and we have standards. 
Don't you think he has standards too? And his standards, when it comes to his moral law, is that it goes much deeper than just external obedience. He wants more than just external obedience. He wants your heart to also obey. Your soul to also obey. That gets into a whole different level. Because you can do a lot of good things, but where is your heart as you're doing it? That's why Jesus said, but I say. You heard it was said, but now I say. Now I say. That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart, in his heart. At this point, you're like, well, checkmate. Checkmate. I'm no longer as righteous as I thought. Because all of us are undone with these words. So this principle, look but don't touch, it's not always a good principle. It can be exposed as lustful intent in your heart. Or you may not have committed physical adultery, but your eyes have led to your heart to committing the adultery. Your heart lust is exposed. And hey, again, these are not my words. These are Jesus' words. And so if you're experiencing any type of discomfort, you're going to need to do business with him after the service. So the idea that you can look but don't touch is not okay in the eyes of Jesus. Because think about this. Do you actually think uh, an affair just happens by accident? I mean, do we really believe that? That it's just like out of the blue, like you didn't even see it coming. I mean, like it's the boogeyman that just sneaks up on you. Boo, oh man, I didn't see you there. I didn't know you were behind, hiding behind that chair up there. No, an affair starts long before the physical act. It starts here, in your heart. The person who has ever committed an affair has laid traps on himself or herself long before they actually fell into it. You know the traps, the seamless, honest, harmless flirting. Oh, we're just playing. It's, it's nothing. The long emotional conversations with someone who's not your spouse. Well, he understands me. He listens to me. He, he values my opinion. Yes, he does. Uh, your unchecked thought life, the wandering eyes, the long uh, things you watch on a computer that you shouldn't watch on a computer, the, the way you have no boundaries in relationships with the opposite sex, those things will end up being traps for you if you're not careful. These are traps that you can lay for yourself. So how many traps have you laid for yourself this week and you don't even know it? It's not even, it's a tra- you won't know it's a trap until you fall in. That's the point. But I'm trying to tell you, those things are traps if you don't, or if you're not careful, if you don't have boundaries. So remember, look but don't touch can fall short of the seventh commandment. Anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in, her, in his heart. Next, Jesus shows us another way in which the seventh commandment can be broken. And it's through an unbiblical divorce. An unbiblical divorce. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that any, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, 
makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, Jesus is not correcting the Old Testament. He's not, that's, that's, that's not what he's doing. He's not correcting the Old Testament. What he's correcting is how it has been misapplied and misunderstood and misinterpreted. He's bringing a fuller meaning to it. There's much more than just what you do on the outside. You see, the uh, Old Testament teaching on divorce is in Deuteronomy 25. That's, no, that, the Moses gave that uh, law uh, to the uh, people of Israel in Deuteronomy. And the law was given to control divorce because it was easy and common to get a divorce in the ancient Near East. You, just, you can just get a divorce for anything. And so Moses wanted to control it. As one author says, the intent of the law of Moses was, given to, was, not given, was given not to give men the freedom to divorce their wives for any reason. It was given so that men would not have the freedom to divorce his wives for any reason. It, it was meant to uphold marriage and to protect women for being divorced for no reason at all. But the scribes and the Pharisees here have misunderstood it. So they imply that I can get divorced for any reason. And Jesus challenged them on that. He tells the Pharisees that the reason Moses allowed them to divorce was because of the hardness of heart. I'm going to read what Jesus told, tells them in Matthew 19. I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? This is a Pharisee's question to Jesus. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore, God has joined together that no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses commit one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for grounds of sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So, what Jesus, again, what Jesus is doing here is that divorcing a person for just any reason is not biblical. It's not biblical. Part of God's intent for marriage is for marriage to be for the long haul. Yet we know every marriage in the world doesn't make it. Yet we know every marriage in the world is broken because of sin. And we know even within a Christian church, even within Christian circles, some marriages don't make it the long haul. They don't. Marriage is beautiful and awesome, but it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Many couples get a divorce because they realize just how much work it takes to make marriage work. And according to Jesus, we can't just get a divorce because we realize when we get in, it's going to be hard work. You can't just say, I quit. We can't just say, well, we've just grown apart over the years. We just can't get a divorce because it's hard work. We just can't say we've got irreconcilable differences. You just got to work those things out. Jesus himself says, there's only a, a, two grounds for a biblical divorce in the eyes of God. Adultery, and the other one is willful desertion. And willful desertion means a spouse has abandoned the family or he has abused his, his authority in the family or her authority in the family and just left. 
That's willful desertion. You just abandoned the family or you, or you brought abuse into the marriage. Outside of those two things, you have to work things out. You have to work things out. So instead of loosening the requirements on the seventh commandment, Jesus is showing you they're much deeper than we think. They're much deeper than we realize. And he does that because he doesn't want us to live behind a wall of false righteousness thinking, I got it all together. Because if you got it all together, you don't need Jesus. If your marriage is a, is a perfect marriage, well, you don't need Jesus in your marriage, do you? You don't. We are, none of us have it all together. Mutually broken people, that's what we are. We fall short. And we need a great physician to heal us. And that Jesus, as a great physician, what he does, he opens up wounds. He opens them up. But because he's also a healer, he provides healing to those wounds as well. So he wants you to bring your hurt to him. Bring your lustful heart to him. Bring your broken marriage to him. See, it's not his intent to beat you down. It's not his intent to make you feel guilty. He wants you to see your brokenness and come to him for healing. He shows us why we can't use the law like the Pharisees used the law. Because the law cannot do what Jesus can do. It cannot deal with our sin the way that Jesus deals with our sin. It can reveal sin, but it doesn't heal you from sin. It reveals it, but it doesn't forgive you. It doesn't heal you. Only Jesus does that. So we, all of us are really lepers when it comes to the gospel. We are lepers when we go to Jesus and ask him to make us clean. And one of the ways we do that is through repentance. Through repentance. We go, we go to him and say, Lee, I've fallen short. Will you please heal me? Believers who embrace their brokenness love repentance and forgiveness. They live by faith in a Savior who is constantly at work in their life. You know, through the Spirit, Jesus gives you other principles to live by. Instead of look but don't touch or, or look but don't touch or irreconcilable differences. He, gives you, he replaces those principles with other principles. And the first one is broken people don't trust themselves. Broken people do not trust themselves. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Here's what I mean. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better for that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Now, do you take that literally? If you do, y'all ain't gonna have no limbs left. If you do. No, you do not, please. Don't leave here, go home, and, and do that to your body. That's not what Jesus is saying. What the principle that he's given is broken people do not trust themselves. That is his point there. That is his, that is his point. What he's saying is broken people know enough about themselves that they know they've got to cut something out of their life. It means you set up boundaries to protect yourself and to protect your marriage. That's what it means. So for some of us, 
the right hand and the right eye means I need to get a filter on my computer or get rid of my cable. That's what it means for some of you. For some of us, it means, well, I don't need, I need to put some boundaries in this particular relationship because this, is, this can get very unhealthy if I don't. So it's knowing enough about yourself that I can't trust myself. I can't put myself in compromising situations just because I think I control my, I have control of myself. None of us are beyond falling. None of us are beyond falling. We're not at all. You got to know that about yourself. You, some, if you're in an unhealthy relationship with someone who is, is not your spouse, when you and your spouse have that bad blow up, where are you going to run for comfort? to that relationship because that person understands you. That person listens to you. That person laughs at your jokes. I'm telling you, it's a trap. It's a trap. Some of you need to end some of those relationships because they're inappropriate. So men, be careful how you interact with a woman who's not your wife. You may say, come on, pastor, man, we're just friends. We're like brothers and sisters. She laughs at my jokes. It's all, it's all innocent. Listen, if she's not your wife, you need to be careful. It may be all innocent, or it could just be flirting. You could be setting a trap up for yourself. Set boundaries in your relationship. Ladies, the same principle applies to you. You may say, well, pastor, he listens to me. He values my opinion. He understands me. I don't care. He could be Jesus Christ. If he ain't your husband, you need to set boundaries in those relationships. If you don't, you land traps for yourself, and they will catch up with you. You will fall in. So if you're not married, what does that mean if you're not married yet? It means you need to set boundaries in your relationships with whoever you're dating. You set boundaries in your relationship with married people. You need to do that. And if you're dating someone, you need to go ahead and tell that person. Until there's a ring on my finger, there's certain places this ain't, we ain't going to go. That's a boundary. Until you put a ring on it, there's certain places we ain't going to go. There's certain things that we ain't going to do. Period. That's a boundary. Where you set those boundaries. The reality is, is that you will either lay traps of lust in your life, or you would prayerfully set up boundaries for your life because of your lust. The reality is you would either lay traps of lust in your life, or you would prayerfully set up boundaries in your life because of your lust. We all have it. So don't pretend like you don't. So go to the Holy Spirit and ask him to help you set up boundaries. Embrace the brokenness. Broken people don't trust themselves. They seek out accountability relationships with other believers who truly know them and they know you. That's, that's a boundary. Do you have brothers and sisters in your life that you can go to and say, I'm struggling with this. Will you pray for me? Will you call me? Will you hold me accountable? People who don't trust themselves do that. I have five pastors, other pastors in, in the area that I have accountability relationships with. Those guys have the freedom to call me out for anything. And, and if they don't, that means they don't love me. If they love me, they'll call me out. They'll ask me how my marriage is doing. They'll ask me uh, how things are going in the church. They'll ask me how my relationship with other women in the church, are they appropriate, are they inappropriate. They hold me accountable for these things, and I do the same thing for them. Because I can't trust myself, and I don't. 
and you shouldn't either. Get those relationships if you don't have them. It can be good for your health and your spiritual life. Next, Jesus says, out and when it comes to not trusting yourself, he gives you the, the strength to fight for your marriage. That's a principle. You have to fight for your marriage. You got to grow into that. You got to grow into that. You got to learn to fight through the hard times and difficult times. You see, remember, no, this series, Mutually Broken People, please know if you're married, if you will get married one day, you're going to marry a broken person. Please know that. There's going to be two broken people together. Either you're going to hide it or you're going to deal with it. So your spouse is just as broken as you are. So are you going to try to fix them? And if you try to fix them, that's not going to work either. Because you can't fix broken people. Who can fix broken people? That's Jesus. Now, he can use you in your spouse's life to help them with the brokenness, but you would never be the source of the healing. You would never be the, the Jesus to them that heals them, but he will use you in their life. You'll be a tool. That's all you'll be. So marriage is not something that you should enter into lightly. But when you marry someone, you are, in, you are binding with them in covenant with your spouse in the eyes of God. And outside of your relationship with Jesus, that marriage relationship is the most important relationship. But do we treat it that way? Do we view it that way? When brides plan their wedding, I have never been a bride who put forth half effort to plan her wedding. Have you? Have you been a bride that says, well, the cake can look this way, the colors can mix match, the, the guys can, I don't care what the tuxes the guys have on, they can wear whatever. I mean, the music can be whatever, you know what, it, I don't care. It can look any kind of way it want to look. I have, met any, I have not met a bride yet who is not OCD when it comes to her wedding. But when we get married, we just give half effort to the marriage. We give all to the wedding. Give all to it. We get mad when things don't go right. But when we get married, we give half effort. We get lazy. It takes more than the effort you put in your wedding to make the marriage work. Ten times more. Think of, think of how, think how tired you were when you planned that wedding. Married life is going to be worse than that. It takes more than that to make it work. So you have to fight for your marriage. And if you want to be married, if God, when God blesses you with, with someone in your life, please know that when you get married, it's going to be, take work. It's going to take work. The biblical model for marriage is not it's not compromise where, all right, you give 50% and I'll give 50%. And we put the 50% together, it'll be 100%. Then when we're doing that, then we're, we're one accord. That's not true. That doesn't work. The biblical model of marriage is sacrifice. Sacrifice. All the time. You give 100%, I give 100%. So what you need to realize with marriage is that it's never like this. It's, all, it's like this. Sometimes one spouse is always going to be given more than the other. It's never going to be 50-50. And if you're going to think it's going to be this, you're going to be frustrated all your days of your marriage because your spouse ain't measuring up. They, ain't, they can't measure up because they're sinners. If you go in and think it's going to be this, then you're going to get a divorce because you ain't pulling your weight, brother. 
I need a man that's going to pull his weight. Marriage is sacrifice, not just compromise. And you have to fight for your marriage to make it work. And what I mean by fighting is that you sacrifice whatever it takes to make the covenant work. You sacrifice whatever it takes to make the covenant work. So if you want to get married and you think about getting married, there's two questions you should ask yourself. One is, do I love this person? The second is, what am I willing to sacrifice for this person? You better be able to answer that question. Now, what the person wants to sacrifice for you, but what are you willing to sacrifice to be with them? That's one of the questions you should ask yourself. What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to put on the altar? What am I willing to? Those wedding vows that we take, they mean something. They're just not empty words. When you, when you, when you say, I take so-and-so to be my wedded wife or husband to, to have and to hold from this day forth for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish, to death do us part. Those are covenantal language where you're committing yourself to the other person through the thick and thin. That's not just poetry. That's you making a commitment. Commitment to say, I'm going to fight for you and for our union regardless of what it takes. I'm going to fight to build a healthy marriage and a healthy family. So where's the state of your marriage today? Are you on the verge of giving each other a certificate of divorce? I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, your marriage is as healthy and as beautiful as you want it to be. At the end of the day. It's as healthy and as beautiful as you want it to be. Because if you want it to be healthy, if you want it to be beautiful, then you'll fight for it. You'll go to the counseling that you need to go to. You will get the mentor that you need. You'll do what you got to do to make the marriage better. So at the end of the day, it's as beautiful as you want it to be. You'll go to the, the marriage retreat, even if you don't, don't, don't want to go. Because you know, I got to do this for the sake of my covenant. You do what you got to do. Fighting for your marriage also means you spend time together. You spend time together. You don't make it all about the kids. Because one day the kids going to leave. And guess who's going to be home looking at each other? <laughs> yeah, you and your spouse. You and your spouse. You and your spouse. So you got to go out on dates with one another. You got to continue to do those things. And again... If you're not married yet, there is no shame in that. You're not less than. Pray that God will bless you with someone. Pray that God will mold you into the, the, the future husband and the wife that God wants you to be. Pray those prayers to God, and he'll answer those prayers. Fighting for uh, marriage also means you, you come to the reconciliation table that I mentioned last week. Because you will sing it for one another. You will let one another down. You will fail often. But you've got to give one another grace. Grace to one another. Grace to fail. Grace to make mistakes. And also, you always come back to reconcile, regardless of what you're going through. Usually broken people, they take their brokenness to Jesus. 
and he heals you. You got to trust that he will. He'll help you not to trust yourself, and he'll help you to fight through the hardness of marriage. And if you're convicted this morning over anything, what should you do? Don't leave here beating yourself up. Don't leave here feeling bad. Even if, you, if you've been divorced, and don't, don't beat yourself up over those things. God heals. Remember the songs that we sung. He can heal. Whatever you're going through, he can heal you. He can provide. But you've got to go to him to do it. Be a leper. Go to Jesus and ask him to make you clean. And through his spirit, he will make you clean. But always, do you believe it is the question. If you don't believe it, ask him to help your unbelief. Let us pray. Father, I need you to help my unbelief. I know I do not often always believe the things that I preach. I don't. That's why I need the Holy Spirit to always be working in my heart when it comes to your truth. And so, Father, I pray you help us when it comes to lust, that we would not trust ourselves. Don't trust our hearts. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. So help us to trust you. And I pray for our marriages, and I pray for those who are dating and those who are single and want to be married. Lord, you administer to us. You know what we need. You know our loneliness. You know our desires. And I commit those things to you. That you know where your people are today. And wherever they are, I pray your blessings over them. Ten times, Lord, over them. That you would meet them and their needs. Help them to know that you are God who heals broken people. In Christ's name I pray.